said, nobody has a monopoly on the truth. Jesus would raise his hand and say, I do. I've got the truth. So on one hand, you see Jesus is the way. On the other hand, Jesus believed that people without him were lost. That if you didn't have him, you are separated from him for now and all eternity. And then here's the must that Jesus gave us. We are in between Jesus and the lost, and the must on us is to share this message with people. That's what he has called us to do. You see, Jesus made this really clear. I mean, this was such a big deal to him that before he left this earth, he gave what we commonly call the Great Commission. Guys, the Great Commission is in all four Gospels and in the beginning of the book of Acts. It's some of the last words Jesus said. Let's just, let's just read those. Matthew chapter 28. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Then here's what Mar- how Mark puts it. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Luke's is a little bit different, but says the same thing. Jesus told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And here we go. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. And now I'm about to show you the very last words Jesus said on this earth in Acts chapter 1 before he ascends. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, and Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, before I get out of here, I want you to know, guys, that what I've got is so good, you must share it with people. I like the story of the the, the man came to church. He only came to church on Easter and Christmas, and, and the preacher was getting a little bit perturbed with it. And so he finally got his courage up and he cornered the man one Easter and said, you know, man, I want to call you to join the Lord's army. And the man quickly said back to the preacher, man, I'm in the Lord's army already. And then the preacher said, well, okay, well then why do you only come to church on Easter and and Christmas? And the man says, because sir, I'm in the secret service. Because listen to me, Jesus does not believe in the secret service. There's no such thing as secret discipleship. Jesus boldly discusses this. Now, here's our must today. We must share this. Now, let's, let's have a moment of confession and honesty. Of all the musts we're going to talk about, this may be the most challenging. For most of us, a challenge to go share our faith is the most challenging thing because we have a hard time with that. I like what a writer said a couple of decades ago. Her name was Rebecca Pipperett. She says, evangelism is the one thing that makes Christians and non-Christians uncomfortable. Christians are uncomfortable because they don't want to do it. Non-Christians are uncomfortable because they don't want us to do it to them. And I think there's a lot of truth there. We bring this subject up and we go, oh my goodness, buddy, I'm just going to leave here feeling guilty today. My friends, I'm telling you, that's not the motivation. 
How in the world do we gain a motivation that says, I'm not going out there to share my faith because I'm going to feel guilty. That's a terrible reason. I'm going out there to share my faith because I've got something so significant, it's got to be told. Now, we're going to do this together. I want you to look at another passage, Acts chapter 4, verse 20. And if you have your Bible or your phone, and if you can see good enough, please open that up. And uh, we're gonna, I want you to, to get in Acts 4 with me. I think we got a little spoiled by these screens. I want you to look at your Bible if you got it. Now, where we're ending up is Acts 4, verse 20. And, and this is a place where Peter and John are being threatened with their life about sharing the gospel. They're being told not to do it. And they reply with this famous verse, okay, guys, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I don't care how many times you tell us to shut up. We can't shut up about it. You say, what's the big deal here? Think with me just a moment. This is Peter and John. If you go back just a few days earlier, in Mark chapter 15, when Jesus is arrested, the apostle John, for some reason he's just wearing some kind of linen deal, and the Bible gives us this weird fact. When Jesus is being arrested, he runs, the linen falls out, and the Bible says, John ran away naked. Don't you glad, aren't you glad the Bible put that in there? I, mean, I call him the first streaker, right? I mean, he, he, he goes. And so John's not exactly Mr. Courage. And then, of course, you know the stories about Peter. When Jesus is on trial, Peter won't even admit that he knows him. He denies him three times. So we got these two characters who aren't exactly courageous. And then we just get a few chapters over to chapter 4 in Acts, and we go, whoa, that's Peter and John? That's the same guys? And here's what I want us to do this morning. As we walk through Acts chapter 4, I think we're going to pick up on what the difference was, okay? So let, let's start in verse 1, and let's talk, think about what's happening here. The priest and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. Now, you need to understand the context here. In chapter 3, in the temple courts, they have healed a lame man, okay? And when they heal this guy, man, people are getting excited. And all these crowds begin to come to the temple. And the Sadducees are really upset about it. Look at verse 2. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, two quick things here. Why are the Sadducees so upset? Understand, number one, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. Pharisees did. Sadducees didn't. So just for Peter to be preaching the resurrection upset them. Number two, the Sadducees cooperated with the Romans. And they knew the Romans would leave them alone as long as there was no major disturbance. And Peter and John are causing a major disturbance. And so they've got to they've nip it in the bud, man. So look at verse 3. Here's what they do. They seized Peter and John because it was evening. And they put them in jail until the next day. So they're like, we're, we're going we're to shut this thing down quickly. But guys, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't shut down the movement. It's exploding. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. I mean, guys, in this, 
instance, the church is absolutely exploding. And the rulers don't know what to do. Look what happens in verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Campus, John Alexander, and other of the high priest family. Guys, this is the Sanhedrin. This is the same group of people that crucified Jesus. Talk about scaring you. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Okay, man, by what power or what name did you do this? They can't deny the miracle. It's in front of them. So how did you do it? Then Peter, pay real close attention to these next four words, five words. Filled with the Holy Spirit. He said to them, rulers and elders of people, if we're being called to count today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this. We're not ashamed of this. Know this, you and all of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, that's a jab, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is, then he quotes scripture to these dudes, the stone you, builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And then they make a statement that had to make them uncomfortable, and it would make most Americans uncomfortable. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which they must be saved. Oh, my goodness. They are not backing down. Now, these dudes knew how weak they had been in the past. And so they're like, what's happened to Peter and John? Look at verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I hope you take note of that. That's a big point. They had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin, and they conferenced together. So they're meeting together trying to figure out, what do we do to stop this movement? What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them not to speak any longer in his name. Then they called them in again, and they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And then here is the climax. And Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. And here's our point. For as of us, we cannot help speaking about we've seen and heard, about we've seen and heard. Man, these guys are bold. Now, what has made the difference in these guys who are running and denying Jesus to now they're standing up to the same authorities that crucified Jesus and not backing down? Let me give you five really practical points I want you to carry with you this morning. I hope you're taking notes. Number one, how do you get this must factor? Knowing Jesus is a must. Guys, even the heathens, when these guys are so bold, they know Peter and John aren't good enough for this. There ain't no way Peter and John could be this bold. 
So even they say, Jesus must have rubbed off on them because we've never seen people this bold since Jesus. You guys, here's what I call this. I call this the overflow factor, guys. If you want to share your faith, you're not going to walk out of here and share your faith because I make you feel guilty. That'd be crazy. You're going to share your faith because you get so full of Jesus that he just overflows. Someone touches you, and Jesus comes out. Someone offends you, and Jesus comes out. Someone asks you a question, and Jesus comes out. So the best thing I can tell you today, man, is fill your life with as much of Jesus as you can. And then it's going to overflow. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it's the love of Christ that compels us. Why? Because we believe that one person, Jesus, died for all. Jesus died for everyone, and we can't be quite about it. So first of all, if you want this must factor like them, you've got to know Jesus. I asked you this morning, what's your relationship like with Jesus? I mean, all this church stuff and religion stuff is really, really good, and I love what we're doing. It's incredible. But I'm telling you guys, if, if, if you're not getting to know Jesus, we're failing. Because if you get to know Jesus, everything else will change. What else do we find in this passage? Number two, service is a must. I mean, what opened this door was the kindness they showed to a lame man. And everybody's all excited. And we talked about this last week when we talked about service being a must. That's when we go out there and we serve people who need help, it opens the door for the gospel. That's why we're so hyper about you getting your serve together for men. I report to you today we're at 72%, all right? I'm not celebrating that. I'm about to get off on it, okay? All right. We, we got to get to this 75%, guys, because why? Because as we mobilize as the body of Christ and we serve, people take notice. People don't do in our city what those people do. So we must serve. Man, that, that will open the doors. Number, number three, here's, here's the big point of today. Words are a must. At some point, when everybody's asking, they got to tell somebody about Jesus. And I've heard this my whole life because when we start talking about sharing your faith, we all get uptight. And I've heard, I've probably said it, I've heard a lot of people say it. Well, yeah, I want to share my faith, but here's the way I'm going to do it. I'm just going to be a really good example. Can I say this? That's not enough. Guys, guys, the word good news, the word gospel, comes from two words in the original language. Here's what it means. Good message. The gospel is proclaimed. It's a good proclamation. You cannot proclaim the gospel without words. You can't teach the gospel without words. For instance, and I hope that you are the best neighbor in your neighborhood. You guys, this is very convicting to me. You're in your neighborhood, and you say, man, I want to represent Jesus, and I, and I, want, I want doors to open up. So, man, you've got a neighbor, and, um, you know, you do good. Maybe they're having a hard time, you know, finding rides or kids to some, you know, practice or school, and, and you say, hey, I'll take your kids. Or maybe, you know, they've got some problems, and their lawnmower's broken, their, their yard hadn't been cut in a few weeks and you, you just go over there and volunteer and you cut their yard or you find out that one of them's in the hospital and you go visit in the hospital and you find out they need some food and you take, you do all these great things. Man, 
That's awesome. But if your neighbor dies and you've never used words, you've not taught them the gospel. Us Christians have bought into a false gospel that all I've got to do is live a good life in front of people. My friends, the gospel is both showing and telling. Acts chapter 1 says, here's what Jesus did. He began to do these things, and he began to teach. There's a real famous quotation from a guy named St. Francis of Sissy. I've always wanted to call him St. Francis the Sissy, okay? But here's his quotation. Preach the gospel everywhere you go, and if necessary, use words. I actually like that quotation. I've used that quotation. But the quotation is inadequate. It is absolutely necessary that at some point you use words. Here's how Paul explained it to us. Second Corinthians chapter 5, here's who we are. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Through us. We're the ambassadors. We're the representative of Jesus. We use words. We implore you. We speak to you. We talk to you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. So let me tell you this morning, words are necessary. Number four, courage is a must. God, to, to, to live the way these guys did, to live the way it would call on us. Guys, it's, it's not popular in American culture for you to say a lot about Jesus. Nobody cares if you're a good example. They'll applaud that. Nobody cares if you're a sweet, nice person. They'll like that. But if you ever bring Jesus in the conversation, you could get in trouble, just like with these guys. They don't mind them doing good things, but they mind them doing it in the name of Jesus. Listen to this quotation from the old commentary from William Barclay. When we read Peter's speech and remember to whom it was spoken, we recognize one of the world's greatest demonstration of courage. It was spoken to an audience of the wealthiest, the most intellectual, and the most powerful people in the land. And yet Peter, this Galilean fisherman, stands before them rather as their judge than a victim. Further, this was the very same court which had condemned Jesus to death. Peter knew when he spoke out, he was putting his life in their hands. Because he was so full of Jesus, so full of the Spirit, it just had to come out. And that brings me to number five, power is a must. I think one of the greatest keys in this chapter to things being different was that they had received the Holy Spirit. Verse 8 says, then Peter, right before he spoke, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke to them. Guys, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit enough. I think, honestly, I think we've neglected the Holy Spirit. I grew up in church, and we always said, man, we want to be the church in Acts. I do. I love what happened. You, you see here, 5,000 people became Christians. Man, I'd love to be a part of a church like that. And we say we want to be a part of the church of Acts. But guys, the reason the church of Acts was the church of Acts is because they had the Holy Spirit. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but men are the ones who put the names on the books of the New Testament. And they put a name on the book of Acts. The full name is what? Acts of the Apostles. Not a bad name because you can about divide it up between Peter and Paul. But let me tell you a better name if we were naming it. It should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's the Spirit that empowers them. 
And guys, sometimes we make a mistake. When we think about the Holy Spirit, we think you know, the Holy Spirit is the comforter. He is. Holy Spirit's that personal presence in my life that makes me feel better. That's true. Holy Spirit helps me say no to sin, Romans chapter 8. That's true. The Holy Spirit gives me gifts to be used in the kingdom. That's true. But I think if you read the book of Acts, you will also find the Holy Spirit empowers us to speak. I I like this quotation. The Holy Spirit does something to us so he can do something through us. And then be convicted as I am by this following quotation. When the church forgets the mission of God, the church ignores the Spirit of God. Now, why would that be true? Because, guys, we can all be nice people together. We can all meet two or three times a week and just have a nice time. But if we're going to turn this world upside down for Jesus like they did in the book of Acts, we cannot do it without supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. How do you explain Peter and John being so weak and, and, and so scared and, and, and running and denying, and now we see them, the most brave men on the face of the earth, the biggest difference is the Holy Spirit was poured on them in Acts chapter 1. My friends, here's what I want to say to you today, church. For the church of our Lord to explode, we must have a revival of the Holy Spirit in our church. If we want acts, we got to ask for the Spirit. You know what the Bible says? You ought to ask for the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 11, verse 13, if you want the Holy Spirit, you should ask God, and he'll give you the Holy Spirit. Because listen to me. In the Bible, when someone gets filled with the Holy Spirit, the next thing they do is go out and tell somebody about Jesus. We need the Spirit. So what's our challenge? How do we turn this uncomfortable topic that's a maybe to most of us, well, uh, maybe I'll speak out and maybe I won't. How do we turn it into what Jesus said, a must? I think we've seen it in Acts chapter 4. We need these same things. We need to be so full of Jesus, it comes out. We need to serve people in such a way that says, our lives care about people. We need to open our mouth and speak. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why today I want to challenge us as a church. A couple of very specific challenges this morning. First of all, as a church, you're probably aware that next Sunday is our mission Sunday. And and, and we have a goal next Sunday of raising $224,000. That's a, that's a chunk of change, guys. But here's the great thing about that. That money will completely support our mission efforts for the next year. If, if you're new to Landmark, I want you to understand this. Our weekly budget, we work on a 51-week budget, not a 52-week budget. So that on this Sunday, we can say, next Sunday, every penny you give will be given to mission work. And so next Sunday, guys, we've got the chance to do together what we cannot do on our own. In your copy of Lifelines today, there's a great little insert. There's so much going on, the words are really small. You'll probably have to use some glasses like me. On one side of this card, you'll see everything your money went to to the year 2023. Quite amazing. On the other side, you'll see everything we've planned and we're dreaming about in the year 2024. We believe with our missions ministry here and with this kind of offering, we're going to do more in this world than we've ever done before. We're going to do it globally, and you'll also see a list of local missions that 
are a big part of what this church does. So in between now and next Sunday, I want to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in what to do. But I also want to challenge you in your life that this mission is not just about what this church does or what we do overseas. This mission is about you and I sharing the gospel. That God could put somebody in front of you, pray about it, that you could tell about Jesus. If you were here two weeks ago, you saw James Roberts give his life to Jesus. It was amazing. But James Roberts gave his life to Jesus. He's 62 years old because Ed and Barbara Bice pursued him. And the people part of our RSVP ministry loved on him. James Roberts had never been sober in his life until that time. And now he's a disciple of Jesus. And I don't know about you, I want to meet the next James Roberts. And God has called us to do that. He's called every one of us to do that. Not just the preachers and the elders and the leaders. He's called every one of us. And let me go back to the quotation we started with at the very beginning. Because there are some things that are too important not to share. We would look at Mercedes-Benz and we would say, amen, man, you've got to share this technology or people can die in car crashes. We would say it to the person who's got the cure for cancer, man, if you don't share that, man, look what cancer's doing. We would have no problem, but listen to me, both of those things are temporal. What we've been called to share is eternal. If anything is too important not to share, it's this. And so this morning before we walk out of here, we're going to proclaim the gospel and we're going to pray. So I want to call all of the shepherds and their spouses and our ministers and their spouses, if they had surround this stage and get in some of the corners, we're going to give an opportunity for you to be prayed for. This message is a challenging message, and I'm not asking you to come up here and write something or a card that I'm going to read in front of everybody. I'm asking you here just to come up to one of these people and just, just come to them and say, you know what? I need some prayers. I see Gail Durden back in that corner. I see the Roberts back here. I see walking back here, or Jim and Jill Sanderson, Jason and Katie Furr, and then you see the Praters, you know, and uh, the Meadows, and me and Stephanie, and the Arringtons, and... Uh, Andrew and Katie and Nathan. I mean, guys, there, there's lots of folks to pray for. Let me, let, me, let me mention some of the things you might ask prayers about. You might say, you know, guys, I, I just, I'm just not this bold. Just give them your name and say, pray for boldness. Or maybe you're like me. There is someone right now, I'm hoping he's in this building right now, that I am trying to lead to Christ. And I'm going to go to one of these people and say, would you pray for this person? Maybe there's some family member, some neighbor, some schoolmate that you want to see come to Jesus. Maybe this morning you're so challenged about this money thing next Sunday that you need to go to somebody and say, man, pray to God that I'll let go of my money and that God will give me the wisdom to know what to do. And then there's some of you, if I could guess, you say, buddy, this is all good. But I really don't have anything to share. If you, if you knew me, my life is so screwed up. I wouldn't even want anybody to live like me. 
I mean, right, right now, the, the first thing I can do before I go and open my mouth is, first of all, I need God to follow me through his Holy Spirit and change me. And so here's what I'm asking you to do. So simple. Just walk up to one of these people. Just give them your name and just give them a simple prayer request. And before you walk out of here, let them pray over you. Guys, if we're reading the whole books of Acts, one thing you'd find out in the book of Acts is, man, that church prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and these things happened. So please, if you need this prayer, don't just stand there. Move. Go get prayed for. Now, before we do this, I want you and I to have a chance to obey this message and to proclaim the gospel. So would you stand up? And we're going to use the most famous verse in the Bible that honestly says it all. John chapter 3, verse 16. Go ahead and click to that next slide. And here's what we're going to do. I want you to read the passage. And nobody knows who wrote this, but it was written years ago. There's sort of a, a beautiful commentary on every phrase in this passage. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to read like those words for God. Let's practice for a minute. You say what? Because I need some fire here. You say what? And I'm going to say the greatest lover. And as we go through, you're about to proclaim the gospel. You and I get to do it right now. And then after that, we'll start singing and we'll start praying. So let's start. You begin with those two words. The greatest lover. The greatest degree. The greatest number. The greatest act. The greatest gift. The greatest invitation. The greatest simplicity. The greatest person. The greatest deliverance. Oh, I love this. The greatest difference. The greatest certainty. The greatest possession. Amen. If you want to be a part of spreading that message and you need some prayers, respond to the folks up here right now while we stand or keep standing and sing.